Good morning again, Grace Redeemer Church. Would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10? And if you don't have a Bible with you, um, at least halfway back, we have racks in front of the chairs, um, in front of the uh, chairs in front of you underneath. Grab a blue Bible and turn to page 929. I'll be reading there from 1 Corinthians 10 in a few minutes. I'm actually going to read two passages, but that's the first one, 1 Corinthians 10. And uh, hold your finger there. Yesterday morning, we had uh, one of the most emotional services I can remember, our dedication service, when we gathered as a community of faith for the first time and gave praise to God and offered prayers of thanksgiving and asked God to use this place as a launch pad for the gospel. Um, This is an amazing scene, not because the leaders of Grace Redeemer Church value mere attendance. We don't merely value filled seats and crowded hallways. This is an amazing scene because the people of God have been drawn by the Spirit to worship the King. This is an amazing scene because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a walking grace story, as we like to put it. God is at work doing His renewing, healing, restoring operation. And if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, maybe you would be what we might call a a seeker or a skeptic. This is an amazing scene because in this place, you'll hear the words of life. And it would be our privilege to point you to the giver of life, Jesus Himself. Several of us on the stage this week, or each week, uh, the elders who are leading in prayer, or John Chung as an elder in song, we get the privilege of looking out on you as you sing praise to the King, as you bow your head in prayer, as you, during the sermon time, expectantly hear the very voice of God speaking into your hearts. That is such a privilege that we have in leading you in worship. Well, for the past month or so at Grace Redeemer Church, we've been in what we call spiritual preparation mode because in light of all of the logistical and physical prep that has been absolutely necessary to get us to this weekend, and that has involved an amazing outpouring of effort on so many of your parts, sacrificially investing your time on weekdays, on weekday evenings, on weekends to pull this off alongside our staff and ministry leaders. I cannot tell you how encouraging that has been to my heart to to see the people of God working together in unity for a common purpose. That is the only reason we're able to get to this weekend and only have projectors glitching on us and not bigger problems. Uh, We'll solve that in due time. But as important as that stuff has been to get us to this weekend, we know that unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain, Psalm 127. We know that unless our hearts are tuned to sing of God's grace rather than of any feeble attempts at attaining our own glory, we know that, if, if that unless that happens, this gorgeous space will only be an, an auditorium an empty shell of a space and not a place where 
the Holy Spirit dwells because of the people of God have gathered. And so, over the last month, in anticipation of this, we've looked to Scripture which shapes our core values. We've reviewed our gospel foundations which shape who we are uniquely as a church here in Bergen County, as Grace Redeemer Church. And we've used the history of God's people as our tour guide. We've turned back to Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. This was a long sermon on the part of Moses to prepare God's people to enter the promised land after wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. It was a long sermon, and it was everything they had already heard because they needed to be reminded of who God is and of who they were before they could inherit this great gift. And then we used um, the next book of the Bible as our ongoing tour guide as the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River into the geography of the Promised Land, we turned to the book of Joshua last Sunday, where one person from each tribe piled up a stone of remembrance, and several dozen of us walked up to a microphone and laid down our stone of remembrance in the form of a prayer. I won't soon forget that beautiful, beautiful moment. So today... Just like Israel crossing the Jordan River, we have arrived, right? We've made it. We have everything we've always wanted. This is it. Don't fall for it. I'm setting you up. You're doing a good job. But this is everything we've ever dreamed of, isn't it? Or not? Isn't it a temptation to think that we deserve to kick back, enjoy the fruit of our labor. You know, sort of like I have dragged this sled and this four-year-old all the way up this snowy hill, and now I get to enjoy the ride down, right? Isn't that the reward for our labors or not? If that's a powerful temptation for us, Grace Redeemer Church, what we need is a serious history lesson. So we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 10 first where the Apostle Paul is pointing back to the experience of Israel wandering in the wilderness, and this is a history lesson right in the middle of his letter to the church at Corinth, page 929, and then I'll jump to Hebrews chapter 4. Listen carefully. These are God's words. Verse 6, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Speaking of the people of God, verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Hebrews chapter 4, page 969 of your blue Bibles, verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, what a privilege it is to have biblical history, salvation history, recorded for us as a lesson for the ages. It's a lesson for us thousands of years after the fact. And we pray that that same spirit at work, filling Moses, giving him wisdom, 
that that same Spirit would fill this place and shine a light on Jesus that we might see His glory and bow in worship and understand Your perfect will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing we'll look at is promised land. Promised land. I I do that because sometimes we talk about the promised land as if it's just sort of the the label, but it was promised land. And I want to add to this little history lesson because I I believe it is so important for us to, to shape with Scripture how it is that we as a community should be absorbing all of this overwhelming blessing on this first weekend here in Glenrock. If we turn back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, what we'd find is in the heart of the book is chapter 12, the God of this universe calling a man out of a pagan land, his name was Abram to start, and making him a somebody. This God called Abram out of unbelief into an intimate relationship of faith with him and made him the father of a new nation. Abraham was the chosen one, and God promised to him and and to his descendants after them um, the inheritance of their own land. If we hit the fast-forward button, we fly through the first five books of the Bible, and we get to the sixth book of the Bible, Joshua, and Joshua as the leader and Joshua as the book of the Bible marks that milestone when the people of God cross the Jordan River into the promised land. So here's the quick summary again. God promised land as an inheritance to Abraham and his descendants for hundreds of years waited and suffered and waited and suffered and yet persisted in belief. And now they finally receive their inheritance. They have arrived They have received everything that their hearts have been longing for and everything that their um, fathers, 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 fathers have longed for. This is the culmination of the ages. So why does the book of Joshua end with storm clouds on the horizon? And if we turn to book number seven of the Bible, Judges, why does the entire book of Judges simply describe this death spiral for the people of God. Why is it that there's political and military and economic disaster? That's what Judges is all about, and every other kind of disaster you can imagine. Why? Because the spiritual health of the people of God faded away. That's why. They failed to maintain trust and faith in the God who had made a promise to their ancestor and a God who had intervened in history and redeemed them from slavery and brought them through the wilderness into promised land. So, here's the question. When Israel finally entered the land, were they home? Yes and no. Yes, because we can't ignore the reality that this was indeed exactly what God had promised to Israel. Yes, because God rescued them out of the wilderness and delivered them into a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of abundance. Yes, they were home because God had rescued them from homelessness and wandering and brought them to a place of belonging and rest. 
But no, they were not finally home. And here's where we need the book of Hebrews in the New Testament to help us get a wide-angle perspective on God's salvation plan. Secondly, the question is, where is home? In Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, the author quotes Psalm 95 five different times. Going back to the same source in the middle of the Bible, the Old Testament, to set up this biblical picture of what rest R-E-S-T. What, what does the Bible mean when we read the word rest? And here's how Hebrews 3 and 4 uses this old psalm to, to unpack this biblical idea. That biblical idea of rest starts in the very first chapters of the book, of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. God made all things in heaven and on earth in six days, and He rested on the seventh. That's how we get our pattern of one, of, one out of seven days of rests and worship. And It's literally the word in Hebrew, Shabbat. You might know that from your Jewish friends and neighbors, right? Shabbat is Friday at dusk until Saturday at dusk. And it simply means to cease, to rest. On the seventh day, God Shabbated. That's the first sense of rest in the Bible. And it becomes a paradigm for everything else. The second idea of rest is what we've already talked about, which is Joshua, the leader, leading Israel into the promised land so that she might experience rest from all of these years of wilderness wandering. That's rest number two. And then thirdly, there's a future rest that still remains, Hebrews 4, our second passage this morning tells us. There's something that is still promise in the future and not yet reality in the present. What is that? We need to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. You don't have to go there if you don't want, but Hebrews 11 is the, uh, is, the, is the litany of the heroes of faith. And this is what the text says. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth, people who say such things show that they were they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. That's an amazing passage right there. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of their descendants after them, who trusted God in all of the details of all of His promises, they died without receiving the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. You know, you and I, if you're like me, you and I complain when the sun sets on one day and we haven't received the things promised. When we pray our feeble prayers, we we almost crack open an eye, expecting the answer to be right then and there, like God is our butler rushing to meet our every desire. And yet, these heroes of faith are accurately named because they trusted and trusted even through death. They did not receive the things promised. We're not talking the next day, answered prayer, the next year, the next decade, when grandkids grow up. We're talking about there remains then something in the future for the people of God. 
And thousands of years later, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants are still waiting today. For what? A better country, the text tells us. A heavenly one. We might say they're waiting for real and ultimate home. The place of absolute belonging, of complete body and soul rest, of heavenly and earthly peace, all wrapped up in one. They're still waiting. Are we home? Grace Redeemer Church, this ain't it. It's beautiful. We, we appreciate every aspect of God's overabundant provision for us. We've prayed for this, and we never had big enough faith to ask for what God gave us. Don't get me wrong. We, we don't just treat it like nothing. We, we celebrated yesterday. We will continue to celebrate. We prayed prayers of thanksgiving yesterday and this morning, and we will continue to do that, to marvel that in just a few years, God provided us with a permanent home where gospel ministry can flourish for the generations to come. It boggles my mind that we were talking about that four years ago. And perhaps some of us had moments of hardly believing that God would answer that prayer. He has. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. But biblically speaking, this is not home. Remember the first reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10? Paul pointing back to Israel wandering in the wilderness. And yes, the analogy isn't perfect, right? They, they were wandering, and, and he's pointing back to the sins they committed in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. But the warning is absolutely on point as a history lesson for us today. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Look, like I said, the analogy is not perfect, right? None of us would say we were in the desert in Teaneck. It was a marvelous home for 10 years that enabled us to grow and mature. No, uh, we don't quite appreciate in a non-agricultural society what it means to be a land flowing with milk and honey. That's not what we dream about, you know. We're we're made happy with free high-speed Wi-Fi, you know. We like like free two-day shipping. We love Rita's water ice this Tuesday, first day of spring, even though it's going to be 38 degrees. I'll see you in line this Tuesday, right down the street here. But the lesson is the same. Be careful. Watch out. Because temptations are so very common, whether it is 1400 B.C., when Israel's entering the promised land, or whether it's 2018 A.D., when GRC is entering 21 Harristown Road. Israel thought she had arrived. And then... Listen to me carefully. In a time of peace and comfort and abundance, wouldn't those three characterize today? Peace and comfort and abundance. Then, in that kind of time of blessing, spiritual complacency set in. And that was the beginning of the end. The people of Israel were aiming at the wrong target. 
Canaan, the promised land, was never intended to be their ultimate destination, and neither is this gorgeous building, Grace Redeemer Church. It's a stopping point on our pilgrim path to glory. So how do we protect the gospel legacy that God has been building here in our church for 19 years? Lastly, we're pressing on towards real home, capital H-O-M-E. One biblical strategy is to stay on mission. It's pretty much the last command Jesus gave his disciples. And so if we look at our church's mission statement, it says this, GRC aims to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to mature them into the glorious likeness of the Savior, and to send them to engage the least and the lost in our culture with the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the following key relational orientations. We followed all the rules in the book for mission statements being a long run-on sentence, okay? Um, There's a lot of content there, but here are the relational orientations that are easier to grasp. Up, in, out. Up. Up is worship. What's worship? It's not, it, it doesn't start and end on Sunday morning. This is, this is a, uh, a calibration point for your week. But worship starts with you and God on your knees with your Bible open. Word and prayer. Private, individual worship. And it's complemented and it's strengthened and it's enhanced by the communal gathering of God's people on Sunday mornings. There's something distinct about this versus you in your prayer closet. They're both necessary. Folks, can I ask you this to-the-point question? Are those public and private aspects of worship, are those anchor points for your life? Are they anchor points? If not, you're demonstrating with your other competing, crowding out priorities that you see this world, your job, your recreational plans, your friendships, your your other relationships, you see this world and all that it has as your true home. You're content with the here and now where your dreams are located instead of trusting in the perfect and wise and overabundant promises of God that, yes, stretch into eternity. Is public and private worship your anchor point? In is the second relational orientation. In involves rich biblical community. We talk about that all the time, and we work hard at it, and we're not great, but we want to get better. It involves investing yourself in the lives of others through, here are some key words, hospitality. Invite people over. If you're going out, invite them to come with you. Service and fellowship. We have a wonderful fellowship hall now. We thought we got away with those crowded hallways. Now we just have a crowded fellowship hall, but it's a beautiful thing. And service. Um, There are blue shirts scattered throughout this room. They've been here all morning, rolling into this parking lot at 7.30 a.m., and they're leaving at 1 with you. They could use some help. Why do we talk about service? Because it's one of the best ways for you to connect with the local family and give of yourself. Find a blue shirt and talk to them after the service if you have any sense of wanting to get plugged in. We need ushers. We need uh, help in the nursery. Uh, We need guys, uh, not just men, but uh, people in the sound booth to help with audio and visual. Um, And then the question is, um, shaping and equipping, what does that look like? 
It might look like coming between services in the middle hour for adult Sunday school. Um, First Sunday in uh, the cornerstone room, as it's called, behind you to the left, packed out. Awesome to see. It's actually a classroom now. Or a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study or a mixed-gender growth group that meets all across this area throughout the week. Or coming to an occasional parenting seminar or taking advantage of the lay counseling training that we might have here. Why does any of that keep you oriented? How does any of that keep you oriented towards what is truly home? Well, in terms of loving one another, they will know we are Christians by our love. There's an end in and of itself right there. But then as you invest yourself and give of yourself in the cause of Christ, you, you, you die to self and the this and the here and now, and, and you, you continue to grow in cultivating a sense of eternity, of, of, of that which lasts. And that leads us to the third orientation, out. Out reflects God's compassion for what Jesus calls sheep without a shepherd. Investing your personal resources, especially your time, to benefit the least and the lost. Folks, there is no greater purpose in life than to be called by the king of the universe to participate in his work of renewing and restoring lives through resurrection power as you proclaim and as you practice the word of God, the very gospel, the good news. Proclaim with your mouth. Practice with your hands and feet the gospel of Jesus Christ. So again, here's the question. Now that we've moved, are we home? A little yes and a big no. The little yes that we don't want to ignore, we are home. Because this is astounding. We have a, a, a permanent place for the first time ever. We're no longer at the whim of a landlord. We, we no longer have to worry about a limited-term lease expiring and not having a home for our church community anymore. We can plant roots and call ourselves a church for and in Glenrock and the surrounding townships. But are we home? The bigger answer is no. Or not yet. At the end of the New Testament... Jesus has resurrected. Jesus has ascended back to the Father's right hand. The church is uh, exploding in growth. And Peter, at the very end of the New Testament, writing to the believers scattered, calls them foreigners and exiles. They're still not home. That has nothing to do with their passport, their geography, where they call themselves a citizen of this or that land. And the Apostle Paul, who had written earlier, says to the Philippian church, our citizenship is in heaven. The follower of Christ's passport is stamped citizen of heaven. You're not there. You're a pilgrim on the way. We're sojourners in a land that is not our home. So yes, we should take time to give thanks and express appreciation to the king and marvel at what he has done. But biblical history warns us against thinking that we've arrived that this is the solution to every problem, that now we've made it, there still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And if we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author 
and perfecter of our faith if we persist in trusting that we will not truly be home until we stand in the presence of our Savior and Lord Jesus himself, then we will properly enjoy 21 Harristown Road here in Glenrock. We will see it as a resource to be used for God's purposes. We will appreciate it as a generous gift, but only as a temporary reality on the pilgrim road to glory when the loving Father himself will give us the gracious and overwhelming gift of true and lasting rest. And then we will be home. Praise him, praise him, praise him. Let's pray. Lord, bring us home. Paul says it is better to be with Christ. Lord, cause that to grow in our hearts and minds. Cause us to look around at the world and see it as a fading reality. If there's beauty, Lord, let us look to you as the source of that beauty. Let us trust that you have so much more in mind when this uh, creation and our bodies and our souls are fully redeemed and we stand in your presence. Let the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.